0: From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. The red planet just got another robot inhabitant. NASA's Mars InSight lander touched down on November 26 after a six-month trip through our solar system. The mission aims to understand what's going on under the Martian surface using a suite of geological and seismic tools. It will spend the next few weeks surveying its landing site before starting its science mission. But in the meantime, the spacecraft has been beaming back tantalizing new pictures from the surface of Mars. So what do scientists hope to learn from InSight? Well, I reached out to Emily Lakdawalla to answer that question. She's a geologist and also the senior editor at the Planetary Society. Emily was at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab during the landing and joins us via Skype today to talk about the mission ahead for InSight. Emily, thanks for
1: joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, you were at JPL during the landing. That must have been exciting. Can you take us back there? What was it like?
1: It's funny because, you know, JPL, all the landings and arrivals are beginning to blend together. JPL has done so many things in the last few years. So I was there again in the von Karman Museum with the Galileo orbiter model hanging above my head uh, with all of my friends in the press scrum just waiting for news of what was going on with InSight. And and one of the things that seemed strangest to me was how – Even though, you know, people talk about the six minutes and 45 seconds of terror or the seven minutes of terror, it felt like uh, everything was just expected to go all according to plan. And it did.
0: Well, NASA has a a pretty successful track record up to this point, right? I mean, there, there must have been some of that confidence in the room.
1: There really was, you know, people like to play up how uh Mars missions are have so often been unsuccessful, but that was the more of them were unsuccessful early in the history of Mars exploration and there was a really truly terrible year in 1999, but for the most part NASA has nailed 7 of its 8 uh, attempts to land on Mars um and it just, you know, it it's very difficult but they do a very good job and everything went exactly according to plan this time.
0: Well, let's talk about that landing. Uh you said everything went According to plan, was there any reasons for concern after the fact Now that we're getting some data back from the lander?
1: You know, I don't think there were any concerns. The lander landed as expected. It transmitted all its data back to Earth um, during the landing via these two teeny tiny CubeSats named Marco, which was an amazing accomplishment. No CubeSat mm-hmm. has ever traveled to deep space before. And these maintained radio lock with the InSight lander all the way down. They got us the first dust-covered image of the, um, of the Martian surface underneath the lander right after the landing. The lander landed in, uh, it was fairly flat. It's got about like one and a half degrees of Tilt, which is basically nothing, and it turns out to have landed in possibly the most perfect type of location it could have. It's landed inside um, what was probably an ancient impact crater that's since been filled with sand, which is like the perfect material for its little heat probe to go down into, and it's not too bad for the um, for the seismometer as well. So it should be very easy to deploy all the instruments and to and to start getting science back early next year.
0: And folks, who take a look at those first images that. Um, were beamed back might be a little underwhelmed because there's not much there. But
1: that's the point, right? (laughs) That is the point. This is a very flat landscape. Although if you look at the images that came back from the camera that's connected to the arm, if you look just beyond the kind of sandy area that they landed in, you you will see some pretty large rocks. And, you know, if InSight had actually landed on one of those big rocks, it would have ruined its whole day. Um, But there aren't enough big, there are as many big rocks as they expected there to be. You can't land anywhere on on Mars and not see any big rocks. So um it's just it's very lucky that they got down where they did, and pretty soon they're gonna raise that arm up of above the lander and get a much better view at the whole 360-degree panorama around it.
0: It's really a testament to what goes into the the planning and the precision landing of of these sites, right? I mean for for it to have, you know, almost zero tilt, as you mentioned, and and to miss all those rocks, it's Pretty incredible.
1: It is pretty incredible. And Now it couldn't steer around the rocks, but it could. Uh, we could pick for insight a really flat landing site that we knew had a very high likelihood of success. It used to be that we did that by using remote sensing data that would make us, it would help us tell if something was uh, was a dustier site or a smoother site. But now with the high rise camera on Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, we can actually see every item on the surface of Mars that's bigger than a microwave, and so you can actually map all of the possible hazards and figure out a landing site that is safe enough 97% of the time to, for you to be willing to put your lander down on it.
0: It's just so incredible to hear stuff like that. that that's crazy. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so Emily Lakdawalo, what's ahead for Insight? It's it's landed, it snapped a few photos, but um, the science is still yet to come. Walk us through the timeline in the next, in the coming days and coming weeks for this mission.
1: Sure. Well, InSight has three main science experiments, and it has to deploy two instruments onto the surface. The instruments are currently sitting on the lander deck. It'll use a grappling hook on the end of its robotic arm to lift them off the deck and set them gently down on the surface. So what happens next is that the science team will survey the area around the lander with the cameras. So they'll be taking a lot of of photos in the next month or so. And they will select um, their favorite spots to set their two instruments down. They'll set down the seismometer first, and then they have to place a cover over the seismometer um, that will protect it from uh, the wind and from temperature changes. And then once that's in place, they'll set down the heat probe. And the heat probe instrument has this thing called a mole. It's about a foot long, uh, about the uh, the width of a dime. And it self-hammers itself down into the surface and should get between three and five meters below the surface. All of this process is, of course, being done remotely with a spacecraft on another planet uh, beyond like a 20-minute one-way light time delay. So it's it's a very slow process. It's going to take two or three months to get all the instruments placed properly. And then... They will stop moving anything on the lander and just collect data and relay it through uh, two uh, radio antennas for about two years. And
0: you mentioned that um, that arm is going to take some photos. So in the near term, we should we should be getting a look at where it is, right?
1: Absolutely, so in the near term, we'll definitely be getting lots of photos from around the lander, and JPL, like with their previous Mars missions, is posting all the photos on the internet as soon as they arrive on earth. So if you google for insight raw images jpl I, that's a, a search string that'll probably work, you'll be able to get to those images and be among the first to see those fresh pictures from mars and and there are planetary scientists and
0: and amateur processors that are taking these images and, and processing them now. it's so cool to see on 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 the internet.
1: It's really fun. They'll be putting them together into mosaics so you can see panoramas. They're making animations out of image sequences. There's all kinds of fun stuff you can do with the raw images.
0: So once everything does get set up, Emily Lactawala, what are some of the questions that um, these planetary scientists have that they hope InSight can help answer?
1: (sighs) The main goal of InSight is to find out what's inside Mars. Um, here on Earth, we use seismometers that we figured, we've used them to figure out the layering of Earth into the crust, the mantle and the core. And we've figured out the Earth has a liquid outer core and a solid inner core. And so we're seeking to find out the same kinds of things about Mars. What is the internal layering of the whole planet like? Does it have a liquid outer core or not? Um, how big is the core? You know, All these kinds of questions. They're really Really fundamental questions about Mars. And we're not seeking to answer them just because we're curious about Mars, although we are, as scientists are curious about a lot of things, but also because understanding how Mars is different from Earth is going to help us understand how Earth formed in the first place, how uh, being in different places in the solar system and being made of different, slightly different materials has made Earth and Mars have such different histories.
0: And, and what would that, uh, how does that play out into the long-term goal of, you know, putting humans on Mars. Is this going to help um, our understanding of the Red Planet?
1: You know, this mission is not going to tell us much uh, The in terms of the internal structure of Mars doesn't help us for uh, putting human settlements. However, one really cool result that we're going to get out of this mission is the modern impact rate. Um, this mission seismometer will be able to uh, detect the, the shaking, the ground shaking caused when asteroids impact Mars. Now, we know that happens regularly. We've seen Lots of images of fresh impact craters, thanks to our long-lived orbiters. But um, InSight will be a much more uh, capable sensor of all of the impacts kind of integrated over the whole of the planet. It will be able to detect every impact because only impacts above a certain size and within a certain proximity to the lander will be able to be picked up by the seismometer. But because we have it down there on the surface, it will detect everything it's capable of detecting, and we'll be able to get a, a much better estimate of just how much impact energy gets delivered to the surface every year, which, of course, is relevant for astronauts in the future.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, of all the data that's um, planning on coming back, what are you most excited about? What aspect of this mission?
1: Well, I guess I'm excited about two things. I'm excited about the images because I'm always excited about images of of new places in the solar system. Even though this is one of the flattest locations on Mars, it's still going to be fun to see that full 360-degree panorama. And I also really enjoy seeing how light and shadow shift over the course of the day. It's just interesting to look at. So just from an artistic point of view, I'm interested in that. In terms of the science, though, I am a geophysicist by training, and I love this stuff about using seismology to try to figure out the internal layering. I mean, you're seeing, it's like x-ray vision into a planet. You're seeing thousands of kilometers deep into a place that no light can penetrate. So it's its really, you know, lighting up the interior and making the invisible visible to us. So that I'm really excited about, too.
0: Now, Emily Lakdawalla, you mentioned this earlier, but two tiny CubeSats hitched a ride to Mars with InSight, and their job was to kind of relay telemetry data during... During this seven minutes of terror, or I like how you said six minutes and 45 seconds being very specific. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about uh, did these meet, exceed expectations of engineers and, and what does this mean for the future of interplanetary CubeSats. This is this is really cool stuff.
1: This was one of the greatest things about landing day, the success of the Marco missions. Um, so yes, they definitely exceeded expectations because expectations were, well, I'd say they'd be high that they worked, but they weren't um, you know guaranteed to work and nobody was promising that they would work. It was a technology experiment and it worked great. It worked really well. The spacecraft maintained lock radio lock with insight for a um, lot longer than I think anybody even had hoped they would. Um, they continued on. They took some really pretty pictures of Mars uh, with their solar panels um, in the foreground that I always love those kind of spacecraft selfie pictures. And now they're still communicating with Earth, having traveled beyond Mars, and they're still testing the boundaries of how far we can navigate CubeSats. And so um, I really think that just about any mission that NASA launches to a, a nearby planet uh, really ought to have a CubeSat along for data relay now because the um, it, we've shown that it can be done. The people who pulled this off were a bunch of young, fresh out of college people. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, you know, this kind of technology is ready to go for sending really small spacecraft and small means cheap. It really opens up space to a lot more people, a lot more organizations.
0: And in the grand scheme of things, it was really inexpensive. I think the the numbers I looked up was like eight hundred million for Insight but eighteen million for Marco. Like that's incredibly low in, in comparison.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you can uh, there's an awful lot of companies for whom this is in reach and you could actually go do, you know, there there's definitely science missions you could do with a CubeSat. Never mind the main mission. You can design science missions to near-Earth asteroids or or the moon or or something else with a with a very small pace- spacecraft like this. So I'm I'm loving the idea of having future science missions as long as people um abide by um, you know, international treaties and things to avoid contaminating other worlds with Earth bugs. mm
0: mm-hmm. Mhm. We- you could have a whole other conversation on what that means for for, for that <laughs> yeah. right um so emily lackdawalla what what's next for mars exploration obviously we're going to wait for the you know the 2 year mission of insight for that data to come back but um in 2 years we're looking at another mars rover right
1: that's right. So we're actually looking at several Mars rovers in two years. So NASA has one called Mars 2020 for now, it's going to be named something else closer to launch. Um, and that one's going to uh, a spot where it's going to explore an ancient river delta and see what kinds of watery activity was hand- was happening there. It'll drill and collect samples for possible future return to Earth, hopefully future return to Earth. That mission hasn't been designed yet. China is also planning a Mars 2020 mission. Um, ESA has a, uh, that's the European Space Agency, has its ExoMars rover planned for launch in 2020. Um, And even the United Arab Emirates has an orbiter planned for launch in 2020. So it's going to be a a passel, a spacecraft headed to Mars that year. All of them would be arriving in 2021.
0: And I'm going to throw a bonus question because on today, Monday, that we're taping this. um, Just a few hours ago, we received confirmation that OSIRIS-REx made it to the asteroid Bennu. Uh, What's your reaction to the OSIRIS-REx mission so far?
1: The pictures are pretty cool. It's a a neat-shaped asteroid with a lot of diversity of color on its surface that... Oh, I can't say color yet because they haven't released (laughs) any color pictures yet, but uh, there's certainly a lot of brightness and darkness variation on its surface. So I'm really looking forward to the mapping and seeing it even more close up and definitely to some color pictures. I can't wait to see that stuff. And that's the kind of thing we can look forward to in the next month.
0: And we also have another spacecraft uh, zooming to the outer parts of our solar system, uh, New Horizons, right?
1: Mm -hmm. New Horizons is flying past... um, uh, cold classical Kuiper Belt object 2014 MU69 on New Year's Eve. We'll probably see the first pictures from that on January 2nd or so. And then don't forget that Japan has its own asteroid sample return mission Hayabusa 2, yeah. which is currently in solar conjunction, so it's a little quiet. It's on the other side of the sun from, um, so that we're. It's hard for us to hear the spacecraft at the moment, but in a few weeks it'll be back, and they're going to be landing and grabbing their sample pretty soon after the New Year.
0: There's no shortage of space news, and you won't hear any complaints from uh, Emily or myself about that. So (laughs) we've been speaking with Emily Lakdawalla. She's the senior editor at the Planetary Society. You will also hear her voice regularly on Planetary Radio, which we air here on WMFE. And you can also get it from Planetary.org. Emily Lakdawalla, thanks so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Be sure to follow Emily on Twitter for some really great space news, especially planetary science news. And you can also see some of her writing at Planetary.org. If you've got questions or ideas for upcoming guests, well, let me know. You can email me at AreWeThereYet at WMFE.org or hit me up on Twitter. I'm at SpaceBrendan. You can go ahead and follow this show at awtymars. Mars. Are we there yet, Mars? Get it. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Are We There Yet Podcast. And be sure to give us a like there for the latest in space news. And be sure to rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen to so more people can explore exploration with us. Support for our with area comes from our listeners. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLead. You can find more space news online at WMFE.org slash space. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.